You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. We are right now going to uh, have my dear, dear friend come on the program, and that is Dr. History. And Dr. History is brought to you by our friends at Minicasha Sales. Oh, my goodness sakes. That's quite a business, Dr. History. I mean, they've got everything over there. They've got doors, windows, garage doors. They've got carpet and vinyl and metal siding. They're a distributor for the best farm equipment, panels and everything. Tartar, Tartar, the very best he's reading a book he's not paying any attention to me and of course zach and joanne and all the crew waiting to serve you at minicasha sales 1321 east main in burley 8782091 absolutely the best of people the nicest of people with the best of products minicasha sales and i'll just throw in zeb i have personally uh had them do work for me and they do great great work well they just put a brand new door in for me yeah did you see that door I did. What do you mean you didn't see it? You walked right through it. Your eyes kind of had a questioning look. I'm beginning to wonder if your old age isn't catching up with you. Well, maybe a little. Okay. <laughs> how are you? I'm doing great. Doing and, great. And uh, as always, we are now heard in how many countries? About 82 to 83, about 170,000 hits now. 170,000 people we've managed to stay friendly with well we hope yeah we hope they come back okay <laughs> now tell me i'm going to give you a chance to give a little tease what part of history are we going to talk about today all right we're going to talk about a man his horse and the battle of the little bighorn oh general custer no oh uh, how about general keel Okay, now when I... Okay, I'm leading up to this, Zeb. What is okay. the most famous horse in the West? Uh, well, I can't remember. It was a sorrel horse at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Yes. I cannot remember the horse's name to save my life. It's an Indian name. Um, it's not Geronimo. Indian tribe name. Uh, it's not TP. <laughs> it's not... Uh, How about Comanche? That was my next choice. <laughs> I there you go. So. All right. Well, Comanche wasn't an average cavalry issue horse. Captain Miles Keogh's personal horse... He was a well-trained, splendid mount that stood out in a herd. Comanche was a bay born sometime during the Civil War, probably oh, around 1862. A little over 15 hands high and weighed well over 900 pounds. And over the years, he'd collected an impressive number of battle scars from his adventures on the Indian Wars where he earned his name. Comanche was injured by an arrow during a skirmish with Indians in the Cimarron County uh, near Dodge City, Kansas. And uh, he let out a bellow and his cry of pain sounded a lot like the scream of a charging Comanche warrior. Mm. So Comanche was his name. When you scream if you had an arrow I, stuck I would. in your butt? I don't know if I'd sound like a Comanche warrior, but maybe I would. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Comanche was known for his stamina and courage, as well as his ability to get by on cheatgrass or willow bark, just like an Indian pony. So he was readily identifiable and known to most of the men in the 7th Cavalry. And we're going to get into that. Right. So we've got to talk about the man. 
Mm. Captain Miles Keel was a man who loved good horses, and he took excellent care of his horse. He and Comanche were an inseparable pair on numerous adventures and campaigns into Indian country. Now, Keel was also one of the most interesting men in the famous 7th Cavalry. He was born in Ireland in 1840, and he liked, well, like a good Irish boy of his age, he loved strong drink, a good fight, and the Catholic Church. <laughs> he also hated England and bullies, and after a few years in college, he longed to test his hand against the world, so he sailed for Africa and adventure. Oh, my. Later, when the Pope called for good Catholics defend, to defend the Catholic lands, young Miles took the first ship to Europe. He quickly rose to the office of lieutenant in the Pope's army. He fought valiantly and was awarded a medal personally by the Pope for his bravery. Personally? Yeah. Wow. So, a little background about him. But by the time he received the cross from the Pope, the American Civil War had started. And that sounded exciting. He boarded a ship for the United States and promptly joined the Union Army. His Civil War record was distinguished. He quickly rose to the rank of Major. And after the surrender, he was mustered out of the Union Army, which a lot of them were. Now, as a civilian, he joined up again. And a year later, as a captain, uh, you know, to seek his fame and fortune on the Great Plains fighting the Indians. And this is where he became associated with our good friend George Armstrong Custer. Yeah, you said our good friend. You didn't say his good friend. <laughs> well, actually, they were sort of good friends. Really? Yeah. Uh, and again, and Custer was another former uh, Civil War officer. We yep, know that. Yep. And he, as we know, was seeking fame on the plains. The two men developed a mutual appreciation for each other. And I don't know if you could call that a friendship, but uh, they, uh, including, they had a respect and love for fine horses. I see. They both liked horses. Yeah. Now, when on campaign in the West, Keogh and Comanche were always in the thick of the battle. The captain was unquestionably a brave man, a characteristic that Custer appreciated. Now, the Irishman drank heavily, but his drinking apparently didn't impair his duty. Some guys could do that. Like the guy that played in all the John Wayne movies. Like the big sergeant in Fort Apache. Right. Remember him? Yeah, he, he could drink with the best. Oh, my. So, but because of unrelated Indian accounts recorded at a later date, we have a good idea where the two famous soldiers made their stand at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Custer, of course, had divided his command into three battalions, Captains Benteen and Reno. With their troops, the plan was to attack the Indians in a three-pronged charge. Each battalion was quickly bogged down. And, of course, we know Custer's command charged into the village and found stiff resistance. They were forced to retreat up the nearest hillside and make a stand. Now, legend may have over-dramatized Keogh's sad end. One version says that the Irishman fought like a wildcat to the very end and was the last of his troops to die. Now, an army scout who came upon the scene a few days later said it looked like he was indeed the last to fall. Now, this same scout at a later day said he interviewed some Sioux Braves who confirmed his statement. And it's a good story, and it may be true, but no one knows for sure. Now, another brave questioned a few years later. He said uh, that Keel was one of the first of the group to go down, taking a couple of slugs from the opposing ridge. But perhaps the most believable account of Keel's end was that told by a Sioux brave by the name of Little Soldier. Mm -hmm. And he was watching the troops from another ridge. Now, according to his account, he said a slug hit Comanche, passed through the horse, and shattered Captain Keel's knee. 
Now no longer able to stand, Keo kneeled down, holding the reins of his well-trained horse, and returned fire from underneath the horse. He finally went down with several bullets fatally struck him, and still holding desperately to the horse's reins. Really? That's the most... Uh, accurate account that we have of the end of Captain Keel. I got to interrupt you and ask you a question. It, it, were you, when you read this account, at all inquisitive as to a how somebody managed to find the Indians to talk to, and b after a massacre like that, why they were willing to talk about it? That's a good question, and. Uh, I think one thing is Keo and Comanche were a very uh, prominent or noticeable pair. And so the Indians, I think, took note of such a, a magnificent horse. I see. That's just a guess. But I see. this fellow, this Indian little soldier, say, says that he came to take his horse, uh, Keo's horse, since it looked like uh, such a fine horse. But he wouldn't, didn't want to take an animal held by a dead man, which they considered bad medicine. Now, apparently others felt the same way, too. So Comanche was not led away by any of the victorious warriors that afternoon. Keo was, in fact, one of the few men in the 7th whose fallen body was not mutilated. Now, he was stripped of his clothes and boots, but the cross that he wore, uh, being a Catholic, may have saved his body from the fate that befell so many of the men that day. Yeah. Now, the Sioux would have been familiar with such a cross and may have considered it strong medicine, a sign to leave Keo's body alone. Now, the battlefield was not a pretty sight, and we've talked about that before. The frustration the Indians felt for years of broken treaties, the violation of their homeland, the fact that the soldiers had attacked them, uh, every piece of useful clothing or gear was stripped from the dead men. That's right. Now, the stories and legends that surround the Battle of the Little Bighorn often give readers the impression that Comanche was the only 7th Cavalry horse that survived the battle. That's not true. Uh, the Sioux warrior by the name of Gall said that the Sioux rounded up uh, between 100 to 150 cavalry horses that day, and when the reinforcements arrived on the fields later, they collected a few more that the Indians had failed to uh, capture. Mm -hmm. But they also disposed of the wounded animals that were suffering, I see. You know, any that were in bad shape. Now, yeah. Comanche was discovered in a small draw, and he was riddled with bullet and arrow wounds. Captain Keogh's saddle was upside down, hanging under the horse's belly. Now the pad and the saddle blanket were gone. Now reporters wrote that he was wounded seven times in all, which became an accepted fact. But we're still really not sure, but that's what they say. But he was severely injured, and when the troopers found him, there was talk of shooting him to put him out of his misery, which mm -hmm. would have been the logical thing to do. Well, was seven, what yeah, were they, wounds. arrow or bullet holes? Both. Oh, my Both. goodness. So, However, since he was such an excellent horse, an officer decided that the troopers should try and save him if they could. So with some effort, the soldiers were able to carefully get the wounded Comanche to a riverboat anchored at the mouth of the Little Bighorn River. Now, close to death, he was brought to Fort Abraham Lincoln in North Dakota, no longer able to walk by himself with tender care and a sling to suspend him. It took him nearly a year for him to fully recover. Wow. Now, when he was in good shape, the officers, officers decided that he had earned the right to be retired from active duty. He enjoyed being ridden by the children of the Ford oh my. and became a four-legged celebrity. Oh, my. Now, in 1878, however, several children had an argument over who was to ride him, and the company commander decided that out of respect for his service, he should never be ridden again. Comanche, he said, was the only living representative of the bloody tragedy of the Little Bighorn. Mm. 
So he said he will not be ridden by any person whatsoever under any circumstances. And this pretty well sealed the legend of Comanche. So basically he was a living mascot for the battle. For 15 years Comanche walked in parades, draped in black, black cavalry boots pointed backwards, mm-hmm. draped in the saddle, mm-hmm. symbolizing the loss of Custer's battalion. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this in parades oh, before, yeah, I mean, Well, they do it for presidents that pass away. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. So Comanche lived out a life of ease. He had the run of the fort. He was allowed to eat out of the garbage cans if he wanted to. Uh, when his caretaker and friend, a guy by the name of Gustav Nave, was shot and killed at the Battle of Wounded Knee, the poor horse felt the loss and his health actually started to deteriorate. Now, stable hands believed that the beloved old war horse missed his friend, and on November 7, 1891, Comanche passed away, and he was nearly 30 years old. Now, Zeb, you and I have been around horses, and to live 30 years for a horse is, is pretty unusual. We had one that was with us that lasted till he was 30 Two, and that's that's very unusual, unbelievable, and especially a horse that had gone yeah. through uh, what Comanche had gone through. Yeah. Now the seventh wanted Comanche to be a permanent part of the regiment, so they looked for a way to preserve him. They contacted a man by the name of uh, Dyke from the University of Kansas, who consented to do the taxidermy job for mm. four hundred dollars. Jo- now, when the job was done, uh, the, the, he told the Army that if they wanted to donate the horse to the university, there would be no charge for his services. Well, at that time, shipping and costs were a little high, and the 7th Cavalry was due to move, so the soldiers kind of reluctantly agreed to let Comanche stay in Kansas. Now, in 1893, a stuffed Comanche became a symbol of all that was true and brave. He was exhibited at the Chicago Expo. Afterwards, he returned to the Museum of Natural History at the University of Kansas. So, uh, now other people wanted him. In fact, uh, they, uh, there's a museum up in Montana, the Custer Battlefield Museum. They wanted him. There was uh, several other places. But, but Have you ever been there? The Custer Battlefield, yes, yeah, I have. It's an eerie, eerie place. It really is. It's a somber, yeah. solemn yeah. Uh, place to visit. Absolutely. Uh, almost sacred in a yeah. way. But yeah. So anyway, one can still visit Comanche at the University of Kansas, where he's preserved behind a climate-controlled glass. And while Comanche may not be the most famous horse in the Old West, he's certainly the most famous horse in the United States Cavalry. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but he was the subject of a Walt Disney movie, did you, do you remember ever seeing that movie? Um, if you give me just a minute, I'll try to think of the title of the movie. They didn't call it Comanche. Yeah, I can't remember. They it's called been, it something else, and I do remember. <clears throat> I do remember the movie. Yeah, and it's been many years oh, since yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. And uh, of course, being a horse lover, yeah. any movie with horses, and that was one that I, I probably need to go back and watch again. Yeah. But uh, in his day, you know, writers boasted that this noble steed was the only survivor from the Battle of the Little Bighorn, uh, although quite a few Sioux begged to differ on that account. Uh, So uh, Comanche was really the most noted four-legged survivor from the doomed Custer battle. Let me ask you this. Um, Excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat. You know, you got to admire the journalists of that time. Now, you said that they uh, had approached some of the uh, warriors that fought at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Uh, what, a year later? Yeah, a year or two later. Okay. But the Sioux Indian Wars and the other associated tribes that were with the Sioux that day at Custer's Last Stand, that was an ongoing battle for 
for years to come. I mean, it didn't end right there in 1876. No, and, you know, they had battles before that and battles and after, after that. that. So now my question would be, and I think you'll agree with me, to be a journalist and go in and ask questions of the tribe and the warriors, that took a little moxie on its own. Well, not unlike today with reporters going into Afghanistan yeah. and Iraq yeah. and places like that. Yeah. It, it, was, it had to be dangerous, and we don't know how many journalists maybe tried to get an interview and did Didn't not come it. back. Yeah. And it's surprising, you know, uh, to talk to the Indians. Did they did they use an interpreter? Did they uh, were the Indians really forthcoming in the information that wasn't jaded against the whites? I mean, there's a lot of questions there. Well, and, and even as we have discussed the battle itself, there's questions about where Custer actually died. Isn't there also questions about where most of the main battle took place? There is, and you can have several people telling the same story from a whole different viewpoint, and I've seen this time and time again with history. I've read different accounts of the same thing. And you would almost think it was two different battles or incidences. Yeah. I know that uh, there was some question, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a lot of question as to basically were the troops under Custer's uh, uh, regiment, were they centered in a small area and basically tried to go back to back in hand fighting and, and pistol shooting and everything. It was supposedly up on a little knoll, and then I've heard discrepancies to that story that it was almost down towards the river bottom. Well, uh, one story I read was that that Custer was actually shot down in the river while yeah. he was crossing the river. Yeah, I've heard that same that story. They, uh, yeah. His men picked him up, put him back on his horse, and at that point, did he make it back up to the last stand hill? I don't know. But now, they had made through history the remarks that Custer was the only one that was not mutilated by the Indian squaws that went through the dead soldiers. It was the squaws that did the mutilation. and uh, But it was also Keogh. You said right. he was not touched. Yes, and I would have to think that... Uh Again, as I mentioned, the the Indians respected the Catholic cross. Yeah. That I suspect there were other men that may have had a Catholic cross around their neck besides Keel. Now I don't know that for sure. You know, in history though, Doc, uh, it's so easy to take a uh, a white against the world, or you know, like Custer against the Indians, etc. But let's be really honest about General Custer and what happened there on that day with the Seventh Cavalry. All of this, I think, when I've studied that and there's books on that shelf over to your left that absolutely I've read a lot about it it could have been avoided and uh, absolute negotiations would have been preferred and I think they'd have been further ahead with their relationship with the Indian tribes you know Zev I'm reading a book right now about Kit Carson yeah and one of the things this book talks about is that the officers a lot of the officers were how should we put it less than desirable men as far as their moral standards their uh, a lot of more drunks well you you will agree with me though Ken that uh, looking at General Custer for instance it was nothing more than another feather in his cap to try to go higher up the food chain exactly and had he waited for the rest of his uh, reinforcements, yep, absolutely. the battle would have turned out probably much different. Wouldn't you say it was arrogance and stupidity? It really was. And as I mentioned, you know, Keo and him were out there to make a name for themselves. Yeah, yeah.
So, interesting story, and I have seen, and I've got over here someplace in a couple of my books, a picture of Comanche, and uh, also before he passed away, when he was residing at that fort, what was it, Abraham Lincoln? Uh, I think he said he was at Fort Abraham Lincoln, right? I think that's when he was being... Uh, Treated? T- yes. Okay, and then also I have a picture someplace that uh, at the university that you mentioned. Right. So, anyway, interesting story about Custer's Last Stand. Well, just a little different viewpoint, and uh, I guess we're going to ha- go check out that Disney movie and uh, yeah, see, see how accurate that do is. Do that. You know, that's the problem I have, and I've only got a minute left, and i got to do a commercial break, but I really... Chide and chastise Hollywood because they distort history so bad. There's an old movie uh, with Henry Fonda about the OK Corral. It's completely, completely erroneous. And it shows Doc Holliday getting killed at the OK Corral. He didn't die at the OK Corral. And I just wish that Hollywood, if they're going to do something that's of historical value, they would treat it with respect. I I agree 100%. They glorify and uh, dress. And, it's terrible. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the movies that do depict things accurately, I, I like to read a book and then I like to see the movie uh, to see how accurate the mo- movie and the book are. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, you take screenwriters and also the big Hollywood sell, and uh, it can take a relatively good story and just trash it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. What are we going to talk about next week, real quick? It's such a mystery at this point that I, I, I won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cop-out, and you know it. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. <laughs> hey, God bless you, man. That was great.